Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture, edited by Jim Harris, and music by Mike Hall. I am getting all tingly feeling, because in this spectacular episode, we are finally going to talk about Spider-Man and his amazing friends. In particular, we're going to be talking about the new Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man. I wish I could have watched this at home. Jim, why don't you get us started? (laughs) Okay, clearly too excited, Mike. (laughs) There is nothing more frightening than an enthusiastic Mike. it's, It's pretty rare and scary. So, as you probably have guessed, we are going to be discussing probably one of the most anticipated films of 2021, Spider-Man No Way Home. And we are actually recording this at the end of its opening weekend. Mike and I actually went to see it together on Thursday night, its official Mm -hmm. opening night. And then Mike actually went to see it a second time, just a few hours before this very recording. And I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I didn't, and that will become apparent as we continue our discussion. (laughs) But for me, my my opening remarks and first takes on this is, I think that this is undeniably a must-see movie for Spider-Man fans. Perhaps more accurately, it's a must-see movie for fans of the Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Somewhat similar to what we had discussed in our previous episode about nostalgia, this movie is not just driven by nostalgia and fan service, it's almost what I would call straight-up fan pandering. And as long as you don't think about it too much, you can actually sit back and really enjoy this movie. And as we'll get into it, lots of people really do. But for me, if you apply even just a little bit of critical analysis to the plot, character decisions, and story, I think you will reach the unavoidable conclusion that it's not a good movie. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's not really good. What do you think, Mike? I think Spider-Man Home for the Holidays is a very good movie. I will probably argue with you quite a bit on on a lot of your takes on that for different reasons. On the first watch, I was really worried about a lot of the things that you're going to bring up that was way too full of references. I thought the rest of it would just fall flat once the freshness wore off of the jokes and the references. But then on the second viewing, those references and those jokes that stood out in the forefront in the first watch just kind of blended in and became almost a background thing. And the rest of the movie, while it definitely does have flaws, it stayed fun. It stayed emotional. It had funny parts. I mean, we laughed, we cried, we had a good time. People love this movie. People definitely love this movie. And I decided not to see it a second time because... I thought back to my experience with the final Star Wars sequel trilogy movie, Rise of Skywalker. We actually saw that movie in the theaters three times. The first time we did what we usually try to do, to sit back and watch the movie. The second time, I mercilessly ripped it apart. But then I went to see it a third time where I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to turn off my brain and enjoy what I can enjoy of it. Mm-hmm. 
And I was afraid that if I went to see this movie a second time so soon, that I would criticize it more than I'm about to or will get to later. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to wait. I don't think I'll see it again in the theaters, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing this again when it hits Disney Plus or when you buy the Blu-ray DVD or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to potentially spoil, pun intended, my good feelings about the movie by watching it again so soon. So I really feel like Spider-Man Home is Where the Heart is delivered on a lot of the expectations that we we all wanted as fans. One of those expectations is not saying the name of the movie correctly, apparently. (laughs) I really think, though, that the spoilers and the expectations hindered the first-time theater experience a lot. I would definitely agree with that. I mean, first off, like you had said earlier, there are times where I have problems with not understanding why people like things or love things. I fully understand why people love this movie. I'm not here to try to convince people who loved it not to love it. I completely get it. But for me, it's like the spoilers are a big part of it. it. To me, I'm not even sure if this is just my perception or if this is actually what happened. But from like my perspective, Marvel decided to promote this movie by intentionally letting spoilers out, intentionally leaking spoilers, and then promote it by denying that the spoilers were true. Which, in hindsight, was kind of genius. Because when you deny a leak, it just builds more fan speculation and expectation and fan Mm -hmm. theories. But to your point, though, it also invites people to think a lot about the movie before you see the movie. Right. And then when it went from, oh, there was some leaks that might not have been real to the official trailer for the movie gave away too much. Oh, yeah. And the ability to be, from my perspective... I don't really think you could spoil the movie for someone who hasn't seen it yet because there really aren't too many surprises for me because what could have been great surprises in the theater are taken away from you by the trailer. Right. And spoilers ahead. We're going to spoil the shit out of this movie again. But Oh, oh yeah. I mean, this, this episode won't come out probably until January, maybe almost a month after the release of the movie. But I mean, I don't know why you would listen to this episode if you haven't seen the movie. Right, right. But yeah, we're not holding back at all. On the spoilers. But yeah, so all all the things that were spoiled by the leaks, whether intentional or not, the interviews that have happened, the the expectations, all these things, the trailer that happened, I mean, just gave everything away for the most part, like you said. And so we're just sitting there going, oh, I can't wait to see the thing that I know is going to happen. Right. But can you imagine the roar of the audience if they had no idea what this movie was going to be about? In that bridge scene, when Doc Ock's tentacle came up and and slammed down on that pavement, just everybody's heads exploding at the same time. Maybe more so not the tentacle, but to see that Alfred Molina was attached to it. It, That's like two brain explosions. And then five minutes later, when you see the pumpkin bomb, and from the first Tobey Maguire movie, holy fuck balls! That would have been the most amazing thing ever. And then the First, the the Andrew Garfield reveal. Oh my God, that would have been the best, the absolute best part of cinematic history outside of possibly the portals in Endgame. I would agree, but I would also argue that you would have hated that, by which I mean Mike would have forced us to immediately go see the movie again because if they had held that stuff back, the theater would have lost its 
fucking minds. Oh, yeah. And you would not have been able to hear any fucking dialogue. I'd have been so pissed. People would have been screaming. They would have been jumping up in their seats, probably maybe even partially blocking your view of the screen. Oh, I'd have punched people. Yeah, you. it would have got violent. People oh. would have started throwing down. Mike especially would have started throwing down. But I agree, people would have lost their fucking mind if they had kept a lid on this more. Like, if, if all they had done was just think, oh, it's Spider-Man's in trouble, he's going to be put on trial or something, I wonder what's going to happen, and you just went into it with that being the only thing you knew, minds would have been exploding. And, and like you had said earlier off, off mic, like, if... If maybe they revealed Daredevil as being the lawyer, mm-hmm. and they'd have been like, oh, look at this cool little cameo, and that's all you knew about, you'd have been expecting that. You'd have been like, oh, cool, I saw the thing. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And then the reveal after reveal after reveal. Oh, man, that would have been awesome. Yeah, like, like you said, I would have, I'd have been pissed. Like oh. e- Even in this one, with the mm-hmm. crowd reaction, you know, with the laughter at some of the jokes, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sitting there going, all right, it was funny, I get it, shut the fuck up. Yeah, I mean, there were some audi- uh, audible responses to some of the quote-unquote reveals in the movie, the, the viewing that I went with you. It didn't make me miss anything, but it would have been so much worse. I mean, even to the back to the Matt Murdock thing is, if even if they wanted to fuck with us and to see like Peter sitting in a room waiting for his lawyer, and you just hear Matt Murdock's voice, but you don't see him, just so that they could fuck with you a little bit, that still would have been fun. Mm-hmm. But I think part of the whole reason why people love this movie so much is you did get exactly what you expected. Like, when Far From Home dropped, the previous movie happened, right? Immediately after, like, its opening weekend, the very first fan theory that I saw was people like, oh, Peter Parker's going to need a lawyer. He's in New York. Wouldn't it be cool if Matt Murdock was his lawyer? Oh, wouldn't it be even cooler if Charlie Cox from the Daredevil television series played Matt Murdock in the movie? That was, like, the first fan theory and that's one of the, the big kind of spoiler surprise that wasn't spoiled by the trailer that you see in the early part of the movie. And people were like, oh, wow, we got exactly what we thought. I couldn't help but remember, I won't call it negative, but like WandaVision, when Pietro makes his first appearance and everyone's like, oh, my God, are the X-Men in the MCU now? And Marvel's like, ha-ha, fuck you, we fooled ya. I'm giving Mike the double middle finger right now. They can't see you (laughs) flipping me off right now. So, and again, which is why I was also laughing at Marvel's attempted promotion, counter-promotion. Like, when it became obvious, like when Alfred Molina, I think, just met, yeah, I'm in the movie. People were like, oh, it's going to be a multiverse story? The laughable thing of having Tom Holland do interviews like, Oh, yeah, it would be cool if, if Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield were in the movie, but they're not. People are like, fuck off. They're obviously going to be in the movie. Well, and then in the other interviews with, like, Andrew Garfield, and they're like, oh, so you're in the Spider-Man movie. I am? I am? What? Really? I can't wait to see it then. Again, but at the same time, the reason that that kind of worked, though, is people are like, well, we thought we knew things like the WandaVision X-Men thing. Maybe they're fucking with us. People were actually getting mad, actually. It was like, they better be in the fucking movie if Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield aren't in the fucking movie. And other people were like laughing at them. It's like, shut up, dude. They're obviously going to be in the movie. But the fact that they gave you what you were expecting. The other thing, once the, once the multiverse plot first percolated, even before the trailer, one of the other most common and very popular fan theories was like, oh, Andrew Garfield's going to be in the movie. What do we want to ha- see happen? Oh, 
I bet MJ's going to fall and Andrew Garfield's going to catch her. And that's exactly what happens in the movie. So again, it's so much of this like sugar rush of not just fan service, but fan pandering of, hey, that thing you thought we were going to do, we did it. That other thing you thought we were going to do, we did it. That other thing you thought we were going to do, we did it. And people are like, "Ah, it's an amazing movie. (laughs) Counter idea. The writers of this movie were just taking notes when they're reading all these theories like, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, we should do that. How can we make that work? That's how the screenplay was actually written. It's like, we yeah. have no idea what's going to go on. Let's give people a loose idea of what they think the movie would be. And we'll write down all of their ideas and just put that in the movie. So also, kind of playing off what you're saying about WandaVision expectations, one of the biggest theories in WandaVision was that Mephisto was going to be in it. Mm-hmm. And this storyline is kind of it has a actually Mephisto- almost direct based off of a Mephisto storyline in the books. Kind of. And it has a Mephisto-like ending. And that's the other thing I was going to say, is the, the, the post credit scene has people already going, is that Mephisto? <laughs> well, I meant more like a Mephisto-like ending in the sense that he had to kind of sort of give up MJ, was my... Oh, yeah. Opinion. Yeah, there's that too. But yeah, there's a lot... Of, there's people thinking that the post credits of Doctor Strange has to do with Mephisto as well. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's unique, but the MCU for the... I mean, Marvel obviously has the ability to keep the lid on stuff. I mean, there were lots of rampant speculation about what would happen in Endgame. I mean, some of it happened, but I mean, they also did a very good job. Even like on set, I mean, even the actors themselves, like day of, didn't know what the hell was going to happen in the next scene. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they really locked it down. So if they wanted to, they could have locked this movie down. But it almost seems like they decided to go, like I said, maybe it was information was inadvertently leaked and they decided to lean into it. But it almost seems like an intentional marketing strategy to me. Well, well, here's the thing, especially now with information so freely available, Mm -hmm. you got people that they figure out where the movie's being filmed and they just hang out to see who shows up. Right. So when they see that, okay, here's where they're filming Spider-Man and all of a sudden Andrew Garfield shows up, obviously that's getting reported everywhere. And then everybody's like, oh, okay, he's in this movie. Then this is what has to happen. It, so I don't know. That's why I say intentional or not, I don't know, because it's so hard to really lock it down because the spoilers in this wasn't what happens, it's who's in it. Whereas in Endgame, it was about what happens. Because once you know who's in this, the rest of it just pieces together. True. But I mean, they didn't really do a great deal of effort to, uh, other than playing coy with, with Toby and Andrew. They pretty much told us, like, oh, yeah, Jamie Foxx is in it. Well, once the spoilers started coming out, they're like, all right. But, I mean, even that, though, I mean, the only villain we saw in the official actually see in the official trailer is Doc Ock. They could have kept the lid on the other stuff. Now, there's something at the end that you see Lizard and Sandman, too. Yeah. And and Electro. Yeah. If you, yeah. You see something that you could interpret, and if you slow it down and go frame by frame, you could see it. And you saw the in the trailer, you see the pumpkin bomb. That I'm yeah. saying that would have been just mind blowing in the theater if you didn't know it was going to happen. Yeah, exactly. But so I mean, they, so they yeah. could have they could have kept the lid on it, but they decided for whatever reason not to. Right. The only expectation they did not deliver on is one that halfway through the movie, I'm like, I'd have put money on it that it would have been there, and that would have been Miles Morales showing up. Yeah, I would say that the only major fan theory that is not in the movie at all is some aspect. They make a Miles Morales reference joke, mm. but I would have, I actually don't like 
I kind of think that the movie kind of peters out at the end, pun intended. I don't really think it's that much of a great conclusion. But I would almost have been, I was half expecting that the movie would end with, they do the spell, and then they flash to the Daily Bugle report of, hey, Spider-Man did that uh, thing at the Statue of Liberty and saved everybody, but we still don't know who's behind that mask. He's a criminal, I tell you. And then you see Spider-Man web into a dorm room window and he takes off his masks and he's Miles Morales. So like the effect of everyone forgets who Peter Parker was blinked Peter Parker out of the MCU and he somehow got replaced by Miles Morales. So that meant from this point forward, Miles Morales was the MCU Spider-Man. I mean, that's my version of it, but some version of him being in the movie is about the only fan theory that wasn't in the movie. I want to give my version. Okay. (laughs) My version's better. I I disagree. (laughs) In my version, it is the end fight scene when, you know, all of them, when they are first getting their asses kicked, that they get their asses kicked even harder and they're really struggling. And then like when, you know, they're just about to finally give the cure thing to Sandman and, you know, you get Spider-Man 1 throwing the gizmo thing to Spider-Man 2, and he catches it, but in my version, he misses it, and it just kind of rolls across the sand, and then all of a sudden, another Spider-Hand with a slightly darker costume reaches in, grabs it, and hits the button, and they pull back, and it's a whole different Spider-Man, and one of them's like, hey, thanks, Peter, and he's like, who's Peter? And then they continue to fight. Yeah, mine's better. Nope, mine's better. <laughs> but again... Including him in some way yeah, is about the only major... The only other pseudo-major thingy is some people were wondering whether or not Venom would somehow... The new Venom mm-hmm. would somehow factor into the movie. He ends up being in a, a weird mid credit scene. That doesn't really make sense. That doesn't really make sense really on any level. But... And I don't really think there would have been... I don't think this would have been the movie to bring him in anyway. Mm-mm. But that's about probably the only other major fan theory expectation thing that I could think of that they didn't do. Yeah. So again, in part, I think the reason why people love this movie is because those expectations were met and those fan theories were pandered to and people got exactly what they were expecting and it made them giddy and they deserve to be giddy. And if they love the movie for that reason, I completely understand. So even though I'm a less enthusiastic viewer of this movie, before we dive into Jim wants to nitpick things, <laughs> let's acknowledge that there's some really good moments in this movie. It's like, I'm not going to argue. It was just fucking cool to see Toby, Andrew, and Tom team up. Yeah. No matter how they did it, I don't think I would have had a problem with it. I thought they did it. It was, it was good enough. I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was just cool to see the three of them in the movie together. Yeah. I mean, for me... Spider-Man No Place Like Home, (laughs) it probably had the best acting of any Spider-Man movie. Because I think across the board, for the most part, everybody did a very good job acting. I mean, Tobey Maguire's still pretty stiff. Andrew Garfield is still just Andrew Garfielding, but he's got a couple moments of really pulling in some emotion. Toby, I'm not sure, has emotion. He's kind of got that look on his face like, this is really dramatic, and I'm supposed to cry here but I don't know how to cry. I know you're a Tobey Maguire hater. I would actually, I don't actually think there was, other than there's one, the best scene in the movie, I would agree that there was good acting when all three of the Spider-Men meet for the first time on top mm-hmm. of the building and, and Tom is crying because of Aunt May's death. That scene was well acted. Most of the rest of the movie for me was this, hey, let's make jokes. See, I'm not going to say that it wasn't good, 
know if I would call that good acting. See, here's the thing, though. Here, here's... I get frustrated with this because there's a lot of actors that people say like, oh, they're a really good actor. Like, no, they just do a thing well. Or, you know, hey, they, they delivered that line really dramatically. Okay, that's great. But were they a character? Were they a different person and maintained that entire person throughout the whole movie? And I would argue that in this movie, pretty much everybody maintains a solid character throughout the movie. Now, maybe it is, like you say, there's too many jokes sometimes, but that's what those characters have been set up as. That's what they do. That's who they are. Okay, I'm certainly not trying to argue that anyone in the movie is a good actor. Not like, I don't mean like in the movie. I mean the actors themselves, Mm -hmm. other than Willem Dafoe. I'm not trying to argue that anyone is actually a good actor. The reason that I balk at that is not, I'm not trying to jump ahead to one of the things I was annoyed at. For me, I thought almost all of the jokes were funny. Mm-hmm. But for me, when you talk about staying in character, I saw most of it as breaking character. I saw a lot of the jokes between Peter Parker and Spider-Man being uh, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland joking about, hey, we all played the same character in a movie. I didn't really see them in character as Peter slash Spider-Man. I saw the actors. I didn't see the characters. I'm not even talking about the Spider-Man. I'm talking about the rest of the movie. Oh, if you're talking about the rest of so, the movie. So, yeah. Oh, okay. And that's oh, what that's I was saying. I was confused. Yeah, okay. that's what I was saying. Tobey Maguire, still really stiff, not really a character actor. He's just Tobey Maguire. Andrew Garfield pulled some, pulled some emotion, but he's just being Andrew Garfield. Everybody else, though, is really good. And it's, oh, and it's every, yeah. everybody else. It's like previously, like older comic book movies, the acting was, hey, act like you're in a comic book movie. Whereas the MCU has finally rounded out to actual acting. I would agree with that when you exclude the Spider-Man. Because part of the reason why I never liked Andrew Garfield in his movies was I thought he was trying too hard to act like he was in a comic book movie. Yeah, and I don't was... want to get off track. But yeah. I agree. If you take the Spider-Men and put them to the side, the rest of the acting in the movie is good. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's like, very good. Yeah, I agree with that. I was part. actually kind of laughing because earlier you were talking about, you know, the best scene for you in the movie when the three Spider-Men meet. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to let you talk about it, and then I'll say what I was going to say at the end of that. I agree. The other people, the acting of the other people were good. I focus mainly on those three. Yeah. So the scene in the movie that I think was the best scene in the movie that involved those three is when they first meet when they're on top of the building and Tom's crying about Aunt May. That's the only scene that I really saw an attempt to act, and I thought that that scene was good. It was well-written. Mm-hmm. And it was acted well enough. I enjoyed that scene. I thought that scene was the best scene in the movie. There's better acting in right. other parts of the movie. Yeah. But I guess I'm kind of, it's the Spider-Man movie. I'm focusing maybe too much on how did the Spider-Man act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why I say that scene for me was the best scene that focused on the Spider-Man actors, the Spider-Man character the weight of being Spider-Man, the losses Mm -hmm. that the Spider-Men suffered and their reactions to it. That's why I thought that scene was best. Not because it was the best acting in the entire movie. I just didn't want to take away your thunder and talking about why you like that scene so much by bringing it up too early. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I saw that, it actually was almost ruined because I'm thinking back to the previous movies and how, how terrible the crying scenes were. And to me, that scene was Tom Holland going, hey, guys, this is how you cry on screen. I'll give you that. But then Andrew Garfield started tearing up. And it's like, 
all right, he took some lessons. He's doing he's doing pretty good there. And then, as I said before, Tobey Maguire going, I don't know how to cry, but I'm pulling emotional. I'm not as much of a, a Tobey Maguire hater. Later, we'll get into our overall rankings of the Spider-Man movies, which was where, where this might come back around. I'm not trying to say Tobey Maguire is a great actor, but I'm not a, a Tobey Maguire hater. But again, I'm not going to argue much because, again, for me, there's not really much of those actors in this movie. Yeah. But the reason that that scene is the best scene in the movie for me is it is preceded by the movie takes a hard pivot, a gut punch pivot when Aunt May dies. Oh, yeah. It's probably the only thing you could even call, oh, don't spoil the movie for people. Telling people that Aunt May dies is about the only thing I could categorize as a spoiler because everything that happens is more of a you're surprised that a thing that you thought would happen happened. Mm. Aunt May dying was forced because they needed to make that pivot. I mean, I saw the movie with you the first time. You kind of facepalmed slash groaned when she says the lines, with great power comes great responsibility. But it was still a good scene, but it was a huge tonal shift from the movie. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it's like, we all got serious. Which is also why it's funny in a different way to me that but that is immediately followed up with a let's comedically introduce Andrew Garfield yeah. and Tobey Maguire to take a beat. And then we go back to let's get serious again, y'all. Talk about what it means to be Spider-Man. So that sequence is the best sequence of the movie. Although, again, Aunt May's dying declaration was grown worthy. That was when Hot May died. That was like a holy shit. Did they really just do that? And I will say, when that first line, when that line came out, mm -hmm. you know, with great power also comes great responsibility. I think it's something, something like that is the way she said it. And I groaned, and I facepalmed, and I'm like, yeah, they really forced that in there. Did they really have to force that in? But then when that got brought up again later, mm -hmm. in a very heavy moment, mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, that's why they forced that in. I'm good with it now. It was also in part because the Tom Holland movies never said that. And it's like yeah. a signature phrase. And they also wanted to sort of connect what's the tagline that they all kind of share, but they didn't actually say. Right. So that was that thing. But as I even said to you, I think in the parking lot after we saw it, I was like, you know, if Aunt May didn't die in that scene, I would have been like, fuck this movie. Because it's like, how the fuck did she not die? Oh, yeah. So it's like, OK, good. She died. And they actually made her death have a purpose because the other thing that we skipped in the Tom Holland era is we didn't do the origin story so we never even I don't even think they've even mentioned Uncle Ben in the Tom Holland movie so we didn't see Uncle Ben's death in the Tom Holland era right. because we jumped over his origin story so that might have been one of the other reasons why that was in there but again it's kind of forced but it serves an important pivotal moment as a tonal shift in the movie yeah I've actually heard people starting to say that and I don't remember who initially said it, as somebody that actually wrote a book about Spider-Man in general, said that the reason we didn't see Spider-Man's origin is because these movies are Spider-Man's origin in this universe. So we didn't see the, the Uncle Ben scene because that didn't happen to this Spider-Man. Right. But, but we do get the first mention of the Spider-Bite. Yes. So there's that. But, uh, I, but the reason that that also worked really well to that whole sequence of the movie is because, again... When they meet up with Tom on the roof where he's actually acting real crying, good note, he's like, I want to kill Goblin. Goblin killed my aunt. 
I want to kill him. Mm -hmm. And again, I know you're a Tobey Maguire hater, but I thought he did a really good job of being like the older brother type guys. Like, yep, when my Uncle Ben was taken from me, I hunted down the man who killed him because I wanted to kill him. And I got what I wanted, but it didn't work out the way I thought. Which I thought was a great way to phrase it, because he didn't actually kill Mm -hmm. the guy who killed Uncle Ben. The guy fell to his death, but he was kind of like indirectly responsible for the guy's death. So he did go for vengeance, kind of sort of got his vengeance, and it didn't bring him the peace that he hoped it would. Yeah, I think think he said it didn't make it, didn't didn't make me feel any better or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it It, was a great, I thought that that tied that moment together. I mean, it comes back at the end, because that's the other one, I think the, what I call the Goblin Defoe moment at the end, Mm -hmm. where that comes back around again. I thought that those are parts of the really good moments. And again, I liked it. I wish they had done a bit more with it, though. When Andrew's like, yeah, I lost Gwen my MJ. And when that happened, I stopped pulling my punches and I just gave in to rage. I was kind of hoping that he was going to be like going a little too far, Spider-Man, for the rest of the movie. And he almost kind of like backslid into, let's make a bunch of Spidey jokes. Well, it's because yeah, you you might have missed it. But right after that, he said, it took me a long time to get past that or or, or something along those lines. Yeah, I know he said something like that. Yeah, to to pull it back. And I will also say that 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 moment with Tobey Maguire did work really well. And I think, yeah, I feel like it worked because they wrote it to be, okay, this is the way that Toby delivers lines. So we're just going to write his lines to fit the way that he delivers them. Oh yeah. His deadpan expressionless acting is what you're ripping apart, which doesn't bother me as much, but I agree. It was perfect for that scene. So maybe they were playing to his strength or whatever. It worked. Yeah, it, it was a good scene. Everything he did worked because they yeah. wrote the movie the way that he delivers in this one. If they'd have done that in the first three <laughs> in the Raimi movies, mm-hmm. they'd actually written it the way that he delivers. I think they would have been better in my mind. Well, that's in part why. But we'll Spider- talk about that later. We'll talk yeah. about that later. But I mean, that's I mean, Tobey Maguire's lack of range is part of the reason why Spider-Man 3 is the worst movie ever. Yeah. And but it's also we'll, probably we'll, why he hasn't acted since like 2014 or again, something. Again, yeah, let's not go off on a whole Tobey <laughs> Maguire tangent, but yeah. That'll be another episode! <laughs> that wall-crawling menace! <laughs> and again, other good moments. I mean, a lot of them go by quickly, but I mean, they make... They brought in one villain from each of the non-Tom Holland movies mm-hmm. to have some representation for the other movies. They made some references and briefly even explained some of the backstories of those characters, but they also made references to like other things that happened in the other movies. Like Toby Maguire is like, I fought a space alien made out of goo. Yeah. <laughs> and like and Garfield's <laughs> like, I just fought, fought a Russian in a giant rhino costume. Rhino <laughs> mechanical suit. <laughs> so I, mean, I want to go back to you fighting a purple alien in space. Yeah, what? exactly. So I mean they made good references to things that happened in the other movies. And even some of like even like the I don't know, it all goes by fast, but like some of the subtleties to like Toby seeing Goblin again and not wanting Goblin to die, or Andrew seeing Doc Connors again. Again, subtle references to stuff that happened in the other movies that were there. And I thought, again, they were done well. I I, I enjoyed those moments. And I already mentioned earlier, they did a good job with the Andrew catching MJ thing. I would argue (laughs) the best part of Amazing Spider-Man 2 was when Gwen Stacy died. 
I don't oh. like, I don't like that movie. When I say it's the best part, I mean that that scene, <laughs> that scene was well done. Oh, okay. That that's the best scene in the movie. The best in the movie kind of actually not kind of this sucks, but that scene was well done. So yeah. to use Andrew Garfield for an emotional thing by having him not just catch MJ and he, he asks MJ, "Are you okay?" And then he's crying, and MJ's like, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> that was another good moment. I thought that was very well done. Yeah, I agree. And I guess this one more, I mean, you, the one more good moment, just so I don't forget. I'll talk about later how I thought most of the final battle was a little underwhelming, but I like the final, what I call the Goblin Defoe standoff. So Tom Holland wants to kill him mm-hmm. because he killed May. And at first, he's doing the pull-no-punches. He's beating the shit out of him. And Goblin is mocking him for, like, <laughs> you want to kill me because I killed May, but it's your fault that May's dead. <laughs> and he's just beating the crap out of him. And then he picks up the glider. So it's like, hey, flashback, this is how Goblin died in the first Spider-Man movie. He got impaled by his own glider. And Tobey Maguire comes down and stops him mm-hmm. for getting impaled by the glider. And then gets stabbed in the back for his troubles. That was a good sequence to me. I'm yeah. not saying it was great, but it's like I thought that that was a nice touch the way that they did that. I like that. And it was okay because he's been stabbed before. Exactly. Yeah. At first, I was like, "Are they going to go Bala and actually have him die?" I was like, "Mad cred." If you did, it's like, "Nah, they're not going to have him die." It's like they never. already killed Aunt May. They're not going to kill one of the Spider Men. Please never talk like that again. <laughs> Mad Bala, yo. <laughs> oh wait, Miles Morales isn't in this movie. Sorry. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Inappropriate reference. Oh man, we're getting deleted after that. Talk about groan worthy. Uh, when I talk about Mike groaning that oh. the Aunt May uh, using with great power comes great responsibility. That was a more groan worthy reference by Jim. But again, I'm not saying that everything about the Goblin's performance was good, but I thought that that last sequence was done well enough. Hats off to Defoe. He plays the movie version of that character amazingly. Yes, again, I can't really say he... I mean, he's one of the best things about the first Spider-Man movie, and yeah, he did a great job. And and actually, (laughs) it was one of the things where he even said in in an article that came out after the movie had already aired, he's like... Yeah, he didn't want to just do like a, a passing cameo. He's like, if I'm going to be in the movie, you got to give me something to do. I want to do action scenes. Mm-hmm. I want to have like meaningful dialogue. You got to let me do something, which is a no duh thing because it's like he's one of the few people who actually can act. Right. It's like, you better fucking give him something to do because <laughs> he'll act the hell out of it. Not that that was the only scene that he did well, but I thought that scene for me was one of the best parts of the final battle. Yeah, I mean, and I would even argue in that first Rami movie, he was the only good part of it. Yeah, I I still got a couple other things I want to bring up about Spider-Man Homeland Security. (laughs) The Daredevil scene, Mm -hmm. I I absolutely loved that. And part of it's from my comic book background where, you know, Spider-Man Daredevil team up is just a classic. And the fact that they're setting up that we might get that, that would just be amazing. But then also, like you were saying about the fight scene between the Goblin and super angry Tom Holland. So throughout the movie, like they've got a couple of fight scenes throughout the movie. And just one of the things that, that really stood out to me is how brutal every one of those fight scenes are. 
I mean, it, it's not overly choreographed blocking punches. Like, how do we trade and how do we make it look okay and acrobatic? No, it's just brutal, just full on, just beating the holy hell out of each other. And in that scene that you were talking about, like you said, he's, he's not holding anything back. He's putting everything into every punch, like Mike Tyson in the ring. Like, just every single blow is a knockout blow. And like you said, he, Goblin's just taking it mm-hmm. because he can. So it was kind of a, it actually reminded me of, I, I mentioned it in our Superman episode. When we talk about uh, the scene, and I can never remember which movie it's in. Living in a Cardboard World? Thing yeah, yeah that for? one. I forget which movie it, it's, it's in. It's the one that has to do, it's like the first storyline from the New 52. But yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm living in a cardboard world. I always got to watch what I'm doing. But this is one of those rare opportunities where I get to unleash because you can take it. And that was what, Darkseid, right? Yep. Yeah, that was Darkseid he was talking about. He could wail on Darkseid full yep. Superman power. Exactly. So this was a chance for Spider-Man to wail. Because that's, that's something about Spider-Man, too. So it was in the, the Superior Spider-Man series when Doc Ock takes over Spider-Man's body. Oh, yeah. And there's a, there's a fight somewhere along the lines where the bad guys start to realize, oh, you've been holding back. Like, you're hitting way harder now. And you start to realize that this entire time that Spider-Man's... Because he's known for getting his ass kicked in every fight. The reason he's getting his ass kicked is because he's trying so hard not to hurt anybody. Right. He only wants to do just enough to stop them. Right. This is kind of a, one of those opportunities where like, he, just, he can just put everything into it. Because Goblin can take it. And Goblin deserves it. So just the brutality of it all just really stood out to me. Which I thought that it paired well with Andrew's remark about how he had stopped pulling punches and gave mm-hmm. into the rage. We see Tom Holland do exactly that. And then you see you see the two other Spider-Men look at each other like, oh shit, he's doing the thing. We should probably stop. But like, we need to let him do it, yeah, but it we was, need to not let him go too far. Yeah, it was like the, he needs to work some of this out, but at a certain point we need to stop him. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, it's when he's about to basically impale Goblin Defoe with the glider that Tobey Maguire stops. And it's like, yeah, that's too far. Critical question. Okay. Tobey Maguire stops him. It's like, hey, yeah, you know, maybe not kill him. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe not go that far, mm-hmm. like we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Where the fuck was Andrew Garfield pulling Goblin to the side or getting him away from it so he doesn't stab fucking can't act? Yeah, well, he doesn't. Isn't he the one who stabs the foe in the neck, Andrew Garfield? No, he throws the serum oh. to Tom Holland and then Tom Holland angrily injects him. Like a Walgreens nurse giving me my COVID vaccine. Yes, for the second time, because he actually did inject him earlier in the movie, but apparently it didn't work. Which I had a theory that I don't think is correct, but when I saw that, I'm like, because Goblin usually isn't quite that strong when they're fighting. And I was like, huh, I wonder if the serum that Goblin created was actually a make me even stronger serum instead of an antidote. I could buy that as an explanation because one of the things... But, but, but one of the brutal fights happened before he got... Well, set, no, so. because when they turn on Peter at Happy's apartment, he injects That's Goblin. After. He injects Goblin after the Aunt May thing. Oh, that's right. So, too. And then that was oh, the, that was that, the, that was the okay. That, that can't be. That's a thing. right too. Yeah, because yeah. he she ran away with the serum. And, and, and he's, take, he's taking the, those punches with a smile on his face in the hallway. Well, it's not really that, that but it's like that scene was like weird because like Goblin is like throwing Spider Man through the floor mm-hmm. repeatedly. Like it, it was like a brutal fight scene. It's just yeah. like. 
Did he get amped up somehow? I know he's strong, but it's like, that's like a little over the top. But yeah, if he had been injected before then, your theory would have worked. But yeah, he doesn't get injected until after that. That was a thing, though, like in the books, is that part of what made Goblin so scary was he was strong enough to take Spider-Man's punches. Mm -hmm. And it didn't stop him. So, yeah. I don't know. I think overall, I mean, Spider-Man Home Sweet Home, it was awesome. It was done well. But it's not perfect. So feel free to rant, sir. So now I will get into why I think it's not a good movie. Again, you're wrong. I'm saying, and, 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 and I caveat this with a couple of things. I'm not trying to say it's a bad movie. It's like, we're going to get into our rankings later. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm not trying to convince people that they shouldn't love the movie. I'm just going to say that there's some things that bothered me that made it think it's not a good movie. Like we had mentioned in previous episodes, a movie can be enjoyable and rewatchable without being good. Oh, yeah. So these are things I'm not saying. These are no way things that ruin the movie for me in any way. Right. There's also this other thing, uh, uh, another subcategory that is kind of like the answer to my own answer to my own nitpicks is this thing has to happen so that the next thing can happen. That general formula happens in everything, movies and TV shows. It's just that it happens so often in this that it started to bother me a bit. Yeah. So Spider-Man, no home for a perfect movie. Now I'm doing it. And that one wasn't even good. So yeah, let's, <laughs> let's keep it as Spider-Man, bring home the bacon. Let's leave the puns to Mike? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Mike yells at me for making puns all the time. And he's like the pun master of this episode somehow. So first off, I would argue that the beginning of the movie before Peter goes to see Doctor Strange is boring. Other than the cool Matt Murdock cameo... The beginning of the movie is kind of boring as fuck. (laughs) It's just kind of them going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And that's about it. Well, that and the whole thing of, I understand they couldn't linger too long. Because again, eventually the movie just needs to move on to the next thing. But like, the reason he goes to see Doctor Strange is kind of weak to me. Because they couldn't get into college. Versus as the movie opens and how also Far From Home ended whoa, there's going to be the trial of Peter Parker. Instead of like showing him, oh, go back to high school. Some people like you, some people don't. Do most of your senior year, fill out your college applications and see if you got into MIT. How about just replace that five or 10 minute stretch with a brief courtroom scene where Peter Parker's on trial, Matt Murdock's his lawyer, and they have a meeting where they could pull on the side and Matt Murdock's like, I got to be honest with you, man this isn't going well. You might be looking at prison time or maybe you don't get into trouble here, but Europe is going to want to extradite you for murder and terrorism. You're looking at some serious legal troubles. Maybe the DA is offering him a deal to say, if you plead guilty to lesser charges and go to prison, we won't go after MJ and Ned. And have like that be the reason he goes to see Dr. Strange of my life and my friend's lives we're looking at maybe going to prison. Can you do something? As opposed to, we didn't get into the college we wanted to get into. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue with you on this Go one. Go ahead. Because if he had gone to Doctor Strange on it because of how much it's affecting his life, that's a selfish move on Spider-Man's part. Well, no, I said the, 
maybe it was like they were threatening not just going after Spider-Man, well, but we're going to go after... Because he even said, even if somebody goes to drug strength, I can't get into MIT, but he just been, it was like, it's more my friends. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was going to say. He's not going to him at, about what, how it's affecting him. Mm-hmm. He's going to Doctor Strange about how it's affecting everybody else. Oh, I would agree. I just think that the stakes would have been better and it would have made more sense if it was more of my friends and my aunt maybe go to jail. Or for that yeah. matter, it kind of is kind of sucks that Happy could go to jail. Like, have that be more the motivation of other than the my friends' lives are kind of being ruined and they're not they didn't do anything wrong, but they're not being allowed to go to the college they want to go to. On the other hand, I also would have liked some sort of explanation on how did the fi- the charges get dropped and why. Well, that was the thing that was confusing to me. It's like it would be one thing if like Matt Murdock, even if they just skipped it and said, "Well, we had that arraignment, but they decided that they weren't going to pursue charges against you," or something like that, or they decided that they couldn't get a grand jury and indi- something like they tried to charge you with something, yeah. but they couldn't. Or something like that. But the whole thing, oh, there'll be no criminal charges filed against you at all. It, the thing that they do that goes by really quick is, which I kind of understand, well, Happy's kind of fucked. And the only reason that that kind of makes sense is because it's like the government wants to take Stark's tech. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, they're blaming Happy so that they can blame Stark Industries so that they can take Stark's tech away. Because that explains when Spider-Man is about to face Doc Ock, you hear the whole Stark satellites offline, system not available. Mm-hmm. Because right. all of the Stark tech is gone now. So that I kind of, although it really doesn't make sense because it really would be Piper who would be... Pepper. Pepper? I always say Piper. Pepper who would be defending nope. Stark nope. and not but, but, Happy? No, no. Go you're, ahead. you're off on that. Okay. What Happy was in charge was because he was in possession or he had stolen Stark tech when they were trying to seize it. So it wasn't it wasn't the that he was in charge of the Stark Trek tech before. Mm-hmm. It was that he had stolen Stark equipment that they were trying to seize. Oh, and he had brought that to Peter yeah. in the previous movie. Well, okay. oh, oh, and he had he had it in his apartment. Yeah, but it, they didn't it, know it about was, that one. The, he was being <clears throat> investigated for yeah. that. That's why they. He was saying you need to have a good lawyer right. because you're being investigated for missing Stark tech. But I kind of also saw that. I mean, it's a really quick scene. You see trucks, the Department of, of Damage Control trucks rolling mm-hmm. away from a Stark Industries warehouse. Yeah. And then the satellites are not available to, to yeah. Spider-Man anymore. Well, they also show in a warehouse where they've got a bunch of the Stark tech like laid out mm-hmm. as evidence. Yeah, that they've seized. So, yeah, yep. But it still would would have looked like, so maybe that was what they were doing all along. They just were using it as an in to go after Stark Tech. But yeah. it still doesn't really make much sense of, especially since the dramatic cliffhanger of the end of Far From Home and the beginning of this movie seemed like it was a big deal. And that's why we had the Matt Murdock in part cameo. But then it just gets dropped. Yeah. And with no explanation of why it got dropped, they just said it got dropped. Right. Although even as you were saying when we were walking out to the parking lot, it probably should have been better explained, but it also probably would have been boring to see. Yeah, it was probably filmed and then cut out later. And that could be it, too. It's just like, yeah, the runtime's going too long. Does this really add anything to it? Because I would argue that the movie doesn't really, in essence, begin until Peter asks Strange to cast a spell. Right. So what comes before that is kind of meh to me. And then the movie begins. And going back to the point you made earlier, the power of that moment is undercut by the fact that that scene is in the fucking trailer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you almost literally see the entire scene. The thing that's that's different from the trailer, 
I thought it was funny that Wong is actually the Sorcerer Supreme. Mm -hmm. And in the trailer, they just see Wong say, don't you cast that spell. Whereas in the movie, he's just like, I don't want any part of this. And he just leaves. (laughs) But that's where the actual movie starts. I think, and again, like I said off the top of this section of our feedback, I know stuff has to happen so that stuff can happen. I argue that it is incredibly reckless and irresponsible for Doctor Strange to cast this spell. But if he doesn't cast the spell, there's not a movie. But in this scene, first Tom Holland's like, can you go back in time and stop? And he's like, I don't have the time stone anymore. But then he's like, hey, we use the forget spell all the time. I may long forget about that party. What party? Okay, using that spell to make someone forget about a party? No worries. But the spell that he ends up casting and being asked to cast, you're going to fuck with the memory of hundreds of millions, if not billions of people on the planet Mm -hmm. and the videotape and other evidence of Peter Parker being Spider-Man in a massive spell, while also saying, we know very little about how the multiverse works. You're going to throw this huge fuck-up-the-universe spell? Again, I know, if he doesn't do it, there's not a movie. But I was like, come on. Surprise. I'm not only going to agree with you... (laughs) I'm going to take an extra step on that. Go for it. All right. So the entire the entire premise of the movie is that spell and that Doctor Strange didn't even fucking tell Peter what the spell was. He's like, oh, you want people to forget you're you? Okay, I'll make everybody forget that you're you. And he's like, well, wait, everybody? And he's already casting the goddamn spell. What should have happened, it still would have been wrong, but what they should have done, let's sit down and talk this out. You want everyone to forget you? Like, even, like, me and the other Avengers? Oh, right. no, no, no. That You guys should still know. How about any of your family and friends? Oh, no, my, my girlfriend, my aunt, my best friend, they should still know. And, like, the thing that Peter says at the end while the multiverse is exploding, everybody who knew before should still know that apparently makes everything get fucked up. Yeah. That should have just been the conclusion of a sit-down patient right. conversation with Doctor Strange and then he's like okay I'll go cast that spell it would still fuck things up but the hey you want me to change thing come with me let's just do it in real time what do you want me to do oh you want to add this too and do that too it's like what <laughs> well, not only that okay so that first part when he's doing it mm-hmm. and you know it's kind of funny the way they're doing it and everything like that mm-hmm. and I'm like you know what that kind of fits the Doctor Strange personality of just doing what he needs to do and not really explaining it to anybody. Mm -hmm. But then at the end, when he's casting that spell again, Mm -hmm. he actually takes the time to explain it to him that time. He's like, you know, this means everybody's going to forget you this time, including me. And and then he gets all emotional and kind of starts crying. He's not even emotional the first time. When he knows exactly what's going to happen, he's like, like, oh, whatever, nice (laughs) knowing you, I guess. Yeah, it's like everyone you've ever known who has ever loved you will never remember you. Yeah, at the end. Yeah. Like, where was that at the beginning? But like I said, it's like, it's so weird. It's like, even Peter's like, the multiverse is real? And like, oh yeah, it's real. We don't really understand how it works. So let me throw a massive spell that's going to fuck the universe up. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. So, but again, I understand we have to have that in order for the movie to happen. Mm -hmm. Then we go to, okay, they think he contained it. And oh, let's, let's just go about our business. And then Doc Ock bridge scene happens. It's like, what the fuck's going on? And then Doctor Strange shows how easy he can just portal and capture everybody and send them to wizard jail. 
send Peter off to go as an excuse. Go have a fight. You had a fight with Doc Ock. Go have a fight with Sandman and Electro. It seems like he's being a dick, but it's because he's going off to come up with a way to fix things. And he comes back with the thing that probably bothers me most, (laughs) what I call the goober box. (laughs) And I call it the goober box. And people are like, what the fuck is he talking about? The box that has a button on it that if you push it will undo the spell and send everybody back to their universes. At first, I laughed internally as like, it's the Enter the Spider-Verse thing. It's like, hey, there's always a goober. So he builds a goober. But why would he come to Peter and explain to him what the goober does and give Peter a chance to not press the goober button? Because we need the rest of the movie to happen. Yeah. So that kind of annoys me, which then also transitions right into... Peter's like, well, we get, hey, these guys said that they got pulled back at like the moment of their death. If we send them back, they're going to die. And Dr. Strange is like, well, yeah, that's what happened. No tough shit. But why does Peter want to save them or try to cure them? And how would, even if he did save their lives, I could understand like, well, if we send them back, they'll die. Why don't we keep them here in our universe so that they don't die? But even Sandman's like, no, I want to go back. I want to go to my daughter. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure why Peter cares. And then let's have a fight over the goober box in the mirror dimension where on one level, I thought this was funny. Math beats magic. Yeah. Peter uses geometry to defeat the mirror dimension to defeat Doctor Strange and steal his sling ring, which is kind of dumb. But again, as Doctor Strange has this demonstrated, he could easily capture the bad guys without any trouble So we need Doctor Strange to go away for a while. Right. Until the end of the movie. It doesn't really make sense, but we need the rest of the movie to continue. That sequence is like so many of the, this has to happen, so that can happen. Coming at you all at once. Go ahead. I would argue on the one part where you said, why would Spider-Man care about saving their lives? Is That's what he does. He's always trying to save everybody's lives, including the bad guys. But he doesn't even know these people. Doesn't need to. He doesn't know the people on the street that he's saving. But I would even argue, not to jump ahead, but it's like, okay, he wants to help them by letting them out of wizard jail and taking them to Happy's apartment? Okay, that's stupid. He should have, at the very least, leave them in wizard jail. I'm going to go away and see if I can find a, a way to help you. Yeah, we'll bring the lab here, and you guys can help us through the wizard jail. Right. Yeah, that, 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 would, that makes more, more sense. sense. That way, if one of you decides to go all fuckery yeah. and stab me in the back type of thing, you're contained still. But I, yeah, I no, know that good. they were also setting up the precursor to why May wants him to help Norman. This is what we do, Peter. We help people. Mm-hmm. It was just a little ham-fisted. I'll buy it. That's what Spider-Man does. But leave him in the fucking wizard jail and bring the lab to them and yeah, so that they yeah. can't screw you over. So one other thing that bothers me the most about this movie is the inconsistent idea. So the villains were that got brought in, they flat out say it's you know people that knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. Except for Electro and Sandman didn't know. Electro, I was pretty sure, didn't know, but he even admits at the end of the movie that he yeah. didn't know because he tells Andrew Garfield, like, hey, you helped poor people in Queens. I just assumed you were black. Well, there's got to be a black Spider-Man out there somewhere, which for an obvious Miles Morales joke. Mm-hmm. But if he didn't know that Spider-Man was Peter Parker, how did he get pulled in? Right. As far as Sandman's goes, 
Sandman saw Spider-Man without his mask on. But even if he heard the name Peter Parker, I don't remember the movie well enough to know whether or not he actually knew who Peter was. Maybe he did, but Electro definitely didn't. Oh, wait, he did know because Venom told him when they teamed up. That's true. That's right. So Sandman did, okay. but, but, but Electro, Electro did didn't. not. Electro did not. Yes. So then the other thing was, it seemed like everybody was brought in either when they found out that Spider-Man was Peter Parker or right before they died. And it's kind of ambiguous because Doc Ock found out he was Spider-Man right before he died. Right. And Lizard so. found out a little bit before. But Lizard, they don't really talk about Lizard's death. So maybe mm. this was the Lizard that was, you know, when he found out, which was in the sewer when he found the camera. Right, yeah, so Lizard so, knew, but yeah, he doesn't die until later. Yeah, so, and then Electro does die, so maybe it was right before he died, but does he really die? He just, he disperses. Yeah. But we don't really know if he dies. Sandman doesn't die. Sandman, Sandman just kind of disperses and leaves and, you know, goes quietly into the night. Because, again, he was a bad guy for a good reason, because he really just wanted to get back to his daughter. Right. But yeah, the inconsistency of how did Electro come over if he didn't know that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. What was the whole point of the whole end of their, right before the moment of their death thing? To me, I explained that away by the audience. That's the last time the audience saw the character. Yeah. But it made me think immediately is like, well, who cares? Again, like I already said, whether they're saved or cured, if and when you send them back, aren't they still going to die? So that's why. It, but that's what I'm saying. If, if they're, they got brought in from when they found out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, if they got brought back then, that gives them a chance. But wouldn't that also have, like, fucked with the events of those movies? You mean, like, a multiverse? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, would... So, yeah, it would have spurred off more timelines. Yeah, it would have... Well, that would have made, like, variants. Yep, yeah, well, exactly. that, we can come back to that later, too. It's like, they're doing a slightly different multiverse. There's the timeline-splitting multiverse, which we've seen in both Endgame and in the Loki series. This is kind of almost like a different sort Yeah, of? There, there was something I was watching about that, where they're showing, like, there's the main time streams mm-hmm. where, you know, different universes have each one has parallel main time streams. And then the variants branching off of those are what's dangerous. Mm-hmm. So this was those the borders, if you will, between those main time streams opening up. So it's parallel time streams within one universe versus breaking across into an entirely different universe. More like parallel universes. OK. Each having one main time stream. Ah, okay. But this is still not messing with the timeline because, again, because for a split second at the end of the movie, I immediately said, no, that won't happen. But for a split second, I was like, is Aunt May not dead now? But it's like, oh, no, she still would be. Yeah. Because they're not fucking with the timeline. Which was kind of cool at the end when the sky starts opening up and you can see the figures and you can kind of start picking out. And then that's. The first time, I was like, wait, who are those? And then I saw Rhino, like old school Rhino outline. I'm like, oh, cool. So this time I'm watching a little bit closer, and it was hard to tell, but there was an obvious Craven. There was a Scorpion that was there. I think a Chameleon was in there, too, which was kind of cool. I'm sure there was probably a Tombstone and a Kingpin and whatnot. I'm sure that if people freeze frame that scene when, the, when it comes out on a streaming service or DVR, What's actually bleeding through is the Spider-Man stuff. The entire universes right. aren't coming in, or it's everything from the other Spider-Man stuff, which is why, not to jump ahead, because I, I want to talk about some other things, but sort of like, why does everyone forgetting about Peter Parker fix that? But I can come back to that. But that's what's bleeding through is the uh-huh. Peter Parker stuff. 
It also begs the question of why didn't more people come through anyway? Well, he that's did explained. I explain that? Yeah, because okay. they said he said everybody that knew your Peter Parker was coming through. I stopped it, but a few managed to squeak through. Ah, okay. And now all hell is broken loose because yeah. Goblin blew up the Goober Box. Yep. Okay. But that's what's bleeding through. Okay. Damn Goober Box. Damn Goober Box. <laughs> I mean, other than the fact that it is, I mean, they make Scooby-Doo jokes, but it is kind of, this is like some people talk about some of like the zany, zaniness of like a Saturday morning cartoon type of feel. It was kind of goofy funny that they're running around with the Goober Box. Yeah. But it was just a little bit dumb. And again, I like the, there's always a Goober is what the reference that I made. So, again, my big thing, which we already kind of started to allude to, is I already said it was irresponsible and reckless for Strange to cast a spell. It was irresponsible and reckless for Peter to let the villains out of wizard jail and take them to Happy's apartment, especially bringing May along. Mm -hmm. There's no really good reason for May to come along. The real reason is because she needs to be there so she can die. They try to soft sell it of, oh, she did such a good job talking to Norman at the homeless shelter. She might be helpful. But she's just there to get killed. But it's really reckless. I mean, they explain a way that MJ and Ned are not there because they have to go protect the goober box. So if something goes wrong, they should press the button, which also makes me ask, why the fuck didn't they press the button? (laughs) But I'll let that go. But it's irresponsible that May is brought there. But again, the, the answer is... Because the movie needs to kill her. Which, my response to you saying that was, Spider-Man would never have let Aunt May anywhere near that shit. Exactly. So, yeah. What was kind of cool to see Aunt May, when, big twist, Norman is still the goblin, and she just kind of <laughs> sneaks off to the side to get the cures, and tries to get away, and still because she knows that those are important, and nobody else can get to them, and she was in the spot. So, I thought that was a kind of cool heroic... Go hot May. <laughs> as much as the spell casting thing bothered me, it was necessary. That this is Spider-Man. Go big or go home. <laughs> it had to happen. Again, like I said off the top of this section, I know the answer to most of this is it had to happen so something else can happen, which happens in a lot of things. But this seems like it happens a whole hell of a lot in this movie. Yeah. And I'm not even through getting to all of them yet. Oh, I... <laughs> And I've got a few to probably tack on. Okay. So I kind of alluded to this earlier, both as kind of a good thing. The reason that Peter lets May come and he lets all the people out of wizard jail to set up the betrayal and the death of May, which gives the gut punch dramatic moral pivot point of the movie. But then it's kind of weirdly followed by a joke fest with that one, what I call best scene thing that after they comedically introduce Andrew and Toby, then they have the serious scene on top of the building, and then it goes right back to the joke fest. And almost like most of the from May dying up until the final battle is, let's just make a whole bunch of fucking jokes. For me, kind of a weird pivot. Let's be serious. Let's be silly. Yeah. And the thing that bothers me about that isn't so much the jokes that are there. It's that the jokes that are happening are as Peter Parker's, not as Spider-Man. When mentioned in the parking lot, where was the quippiness? Yeah, because is that, that what you were talking about? Yeah, so that's because I have a different problem with this. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, and we'll 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 talk about that. So we'll we'll talk about the jokes that are being made as Spider Man, and there's Peter Parker joking about Spider Man. 
where Spider-Man was always funny, it was not as Peter Parker. He was always serious as Peter Parker. Yes. But once he puts on the mask and is Spider-Man, he's quippy, but he he's funny as a weapon to distract people. Exactly. Psychological I- exactly. type of thing. And he's funny awkwardly. Yes. Towards other heroes. Yes. That does not happen once in this movie. It's no. all, they're funny when they're just kind of hanging out talking. And then the fights are super serious. As well as also, let's take a break from some of the final battle scenes and get together and tell some more jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I kind of like that little huddle. Like, all right, we need to refocus. Again, I'm not, I'm, not but... actually, I'm not saying the joke. I mean, most of the jokes were funny. But like some of them for me, it was like, it, it was more that, not all, but many of the jokes seem to like not be between the different versions of Peter slash Spider-Man. But some of them just seem to be about Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland, the actors, joking with each other about they've all played Spider-Man in the movie. Probably the easiest example is during the climactic fight scene, Toby and Andrew break off for a minute. And Toby goes to Andrew, hey, come on, man, you're amazing. You know you're amazing. Everybody knows you're amazing. Say you're amazing. And that's about... Hey, guess what? Andrew Garfield's movies were The Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. To me, that was not Peter-to-Peter, Spider-Man-to-Spider-Man humor. That was Toby-to-Andrew Yeah, that that one was about one or two amazings too far. Well, not only that, but even the essence of the joke. Oh, I loved the essence of the joke. I didn't think the essence of the joke was right. The drama's beaten one too many times, but I mean... I, I didn't like that. The other one that I thought, again, was another example. It's a better joke. That one I didn't think was that great. The better joke, but again, I didn't, I saw it more as the actors joking. When they have, it's like, they, they do the huddle up. It's like, this isn't working. And, and Tom and, and Andrew and Toby are like, we don't, we're not used to working as a team. And Tom's like, well, I didn't mean to brag, but I wasn't in the Avengers. And Toby's like, you were in the Avengers? That's awesome. What is that? And then Andrew's like, is that a band? Are you in a band? It was funny. But to me, again, that was Peter, Tom, and Toby joking. That wasn't... Yeah. I said Peter. That was Toby, <laughs> Andrew, and Tom joking. That wasn't the Peters or the, or right. the Spider-Man joking. It was funny, but that was sort of like, that's the actor, is not the character. I think that is totally within the comic book Spider-Man That joke is a joke that Spider-Man would make. Maybe it's a joke that Spider-Man would make. And maybe this comes back to your acting point. Mm -hmm. The -the over-the-top delivery of Toby and Andrew is what hurts it for me. It's not so much the joke. It's just the way that they just lay (laughs) into it to try to be funny. That's it. So it's not the joke. It's the delivery that felt more like the actors, which, again, might be back to your earlier point. They're not. Neither one of them are very good. actors. Yeah. I so said that that's how I see both of them throughout their entire performance of Spider-Man in all of the movies. So, yeah, Spider-Man home runs no different. <laughs> the other joke that you'd brought up before or joke series was the organic webs coming out of the wrist joke. And you'd said that that went a little too far. But for me. I thought it was perfect because every single one of those jokes was in reference to or in light of all the fan theories of, you know, people like me that were mad that it was organic webbing and like, wait, that doesn't make sense. How does that work? Does he run out? How does he make it? You know, how does it feel? Does it come out anywhere else? And they're asking all those same questions that we asked 
I'm like, oh, that that makes sense because they're also unaware of how this is possible. And they're asking all the questions that, you know, we're like, yeah, that that doesn't make sense. Those were meta jokes and they were funny because like you said, I, I also that's one of the things I didn't like about the Tobey Maguire era is that he didn't have web shooters that he had to build. Mm-hmm. And they decided to make that cheat. So it's a joke that had to be made because it's a Spider-Man film franchise joke of what the fuck was that? They did make a joke for me a few too many times, but you do make a very good point. They didn't just repeat the same joke. It was variations of it, like you said, of the things that people said mm-hmm. about why they were either mad or confused. And and even like the first time Toby does it and Andrew and Tom are like, what the fuck is that? And, he's, and Toby's like, what, you guys can't do that? <laughs> <laughs> So again, I didn't like it in general, but I also thought it was cool when like Tom and Andrew was like, oh, so he never has to worry about like web blockage. And then Toby's like, oh no, I did have a web blockage problem. Talking about what I think is one of the best parts of Spider-Man 2, when he had the crisis of confidence and he kind of started to lose his powers. Mm -hmm. So I thought that that was both serious and funny at the same time, because Tom and Andrew's like, oh, that's awesome. You never run out of fl- uh, web fluid or have to worry about that. Oh, no, that did happen to me once. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And then I guess for me, most of the final battle is kind of underwhelming. I mean, I get the point that you made earlier that the fight scenes are more chaotic than choreographed. But most of the final battle was kind of underwhelming to me. And I guess the best example of that is that Doc Ock takes out Electro. Mm -hmm. That the three Spider-Man together can't beat Electro. But Doc Ock, why Electro trusts Doc Ock at all? Because he blasts him earlier in the movie. But Doc Ock's like, no, no, they're mine. And then he just turns around and basically subdues Electro and and stops him. So what I liked about that is everything I remember about Electro is that Spider-Man could never actually beat him. He just had to outsmart him and trick him into containing him. And so what I liked about that is even three Spider-Man couldn't beat Electro, but Doc Ock could because he could use the tentacle arms that would be the more conductive of electricity so that he wouldn't really be affected by the electricity. So he was the one that could actually do it. None of the Spider-Men actually really could. Hey, hey, Mike! Hey, Mike! How many Spider-Men does it take to unscrew an electro light bulb? You're fired. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! (laughs) That was actually pretty good. (laughs) But most of the rest of the battle, other than, again, I already mentioned earlier, I actually did like the, the Goblin Defoe final battle. But not that it probably needed to be that much, but like the lizard and Sandman thing were both meh. But they were kind of meh anyway. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And then the only other thing I had left on my list is why exactly does the forgetting Peter spell at the end actually work? And the answer my own question is because it's time for the movie to end. Yeah. And we need to wrap up and end the Spider-Man part of the multiverse, at least. So I'm going to tack on to that. Okay. So Doctor Strange is finishing his spell. Peter says goodbye to everybody. And then he just leaves. Why the fuck does Peter leave? If he's planning on telling everybody who he is again, why doesn't he just stay there? He finishes the spell and they're like, wait, who are you? And he explains it right there. Why the fuck does he have to leave and then find them to go tell them again? It would make more sense for them to be like, wait, 
who are you? How did I get here? What's going on? And he explains it versus all of a sudden he shows up one day. He's like, hey, I'm a guy you used to know. Sure you are. Why don't you go back outside? Exactly. Like he should have just stayed there. And then when MJ and Ned would initially be confused, like Spider-Man just saved us. Hey, Spider-Man has his mask off. Who are you? Hi, I'm Peter Parker. I'm Spider-Man. And then he like takes them back to the city or something. Right. And now they're like, hey, Spider-Man saved our lives. And we know his name is Peter Parker. And we like him because he saved our lives. I agree with you. But even though I don't like that, I think the conclusion of the overall movie kind of peters out, pun intended. I actually kind of sort of like that Peter's like going up to the place where MJ works. He has his speech ready to mm-hmm. tell us like, hey, we used to know each other and we're important because she even told him before Strange finishes the spells, like, you better come find me. Don't make me figure it out on my own again. It's like, I promise I would. And in that scene, he kind of, I interpreted that scene as he kind of decided that maybe it would be better if she doesn't remember me. Yeah. She'll be safer. Her and Ned will be safer if they don't remember me and are not a part of my life again. Don't get me wrong. That is one of the best scenes in the movie to me. But that scene didn't have to happen because why the fuck did he leave? Exactly. I go back and forth about whether or not that is good. I think it's good in the sense that I kind of feel like, and this is not a bad thing or anything, my interpretation of that is, I think Tom Holland's done playing Spider-Man, and I think the MCU is done with Spider-Man, unless at some point down the line, they decide to bring in a multiverse Spider-Man like Miles Morales. I think that that was kind of like, we're done. That could be... I think I saw something about Tom Holland continuing. There was uh, some talk about him maybe at some point in the future doing kind of like a trilogy of Spider-Man in college movies, Mm -hmm. which is almost kind of what the ending is set up. Because like the apartment that he goes to at the end, I'm not sure if it's the same one, but it looks a fucking hell of a lot like Tobey Maguire's apartment from his movies. I thought that at first too. It's close, but it's not the same. It's not the same, but it's like... And he has a book to take the GED because no yeah. one knows who Peter Parker is. So he's going to get his GED and he's probably going to end up going to some like city college in New York. So they yeah. could actually... Empire State University. Empire State University. So they could have him do something like that. Yeah. And then maybe Venom and Morbius come in at some point. But at the same time, I think they wanted to at least leave it open to the possibility that the door is actually closed on both Tom mm-hmm. Holland and Spider-Man. Well, I, I think it left it wide open. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying that they wrote him off, but I'm saying that I would be okay if that was it. Or if they even recast him. But I think this is a great movie to downgrade Spider-Man from Universal Spider-Man to Neighborhood Spider-Man. And that's what I mean when I say that yeah. I think we're done with Spider-Man in the MCU. Yep. I think Spider-Man's going back to being the friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. I can't even imagine... At least in the next two to three years, the MCU movies that are coming out, I see no reason for Spider-Man to be in any of them. I think what's going to happen is the deal they struck with Sony was MCU can have Miles Morales and we're going to keep Peter Parker. I almost guarantee that's what it's going to end up being. But I've been wrong before. Right. So those are the... Did you have any any nitpicky oh, things? yeah. Okay. So don't, don't, again, like I said, like I said at the top of the section, I'm not trying to say it's a bad movie. Those were just some of the things that kind of annoyed me to the point of yeah. 
This is why, again, if I went to see it with you again today, I don't think I would have been able to stop myself from focusing on those types mm -hmm. of things that were annoying me and downplay some of the other things that I enjoyed. So what are the nitpicky things you didn't like, Mike? I don't know if you heard me groan at this part, but I guarantee you every time I see it, it's going to piss me off more, is the Betty Brant Go Get em Tiger. Oh. That was forced in there. That's a Mary Jane line. That's like, They're like, oh, we haven't used that yet, so let's get it in there somewhere. It doesn't really fit in MJ this MJ's personality, so who says it? Okay, we'll have Betty Brant say it. And I believe the high school were that high school were the Tigers. And I think I remember when that was in the first movie, they showed that. I'm like, oh, that's how they're going to work that in. On one hand, I'm actually excited. I'm glad that they had Betty Brant in a role. But that was forced, and it should not have been. And I feel violated. <laughs> <sighs> I will not argue. The other things, the general bothers me in every movie. We call it the general physics thing. Of that's just not how things work. And to me, they don't necessarily ruin Spider-Man Make Yourself at Home. <laughs> but they definitely take away from it. And it's like when he's fighting Electro the first time and he just unplugs the wires. He could still connect to the wire there and draw from it. Disconnecting him just means it's not flowing through all of them anymore. He could still just pull from them. So, bullshit? Yes. And then the other thing I said, I was going to come back to it. You mentioned the, the lizard and the Sandman fight scene at the Statue of Liberty. There's not much happening except for they're breaking the shit out of that scaffolding. That scaffolding should have fallen way at the beginning of the fight. Because all of the cross braces that they're breaking all the time, like that structural members, it should have collapsed. So, yeah, just little things like that. I'm like, ah, it's, Hollywood doesn't understand real life. <laughs> but other than that, I think, I mean... We did a pretty good job of talking about what's not good about this movie. Let's come around to one of the things that I've heard. Like I said, we're recording this at the end of the opening weekend of Spider-Man No Way Home, the actual name of the movie. But to bring this home, again, it's only been out for one weekend. It's been overwhelmingly positive response to this movie. Yeah. But... One of the, like, over-the-top responses has been people saying that this is the greatest Spider-Man movie of all time. I wholeheartedly disagree, but it also made me think of, how do I rank the Spider-Man movies? It was kind of funny to me. So coming into this, this is the ninth Spider-Man movie. There have been three by Tobey Maguire, two by Andrew Garfield, three primarily starring Tom Holland, and then you have to include, you have to include Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. So that makes nine movies. Before I had even seen this movie, I ranked this movie fifth. Because I couldn't imagine this movie being bad enough to fall below that. Because my bottom four, coming bottom up, number nine, Spider-Man 3. Tobey Maguire's third movie. Definitely. The worst Spider-Man movie. It's, like, it's just a fucking mess. Number eight, Amazing Spider-Man 1. The first Andrew Garfield movie. Number seven... Amazing Spider-Man 2, the second <laughs> Andrew Garfield movie, and then number six, Far From Home, the movie that precedes this. I couldn't imagine this movie being worse than any of those four before I had even seen it. So it was ranked fifth by default. I keep it there. Because for me, it's like, it wasn't bad, but it's not better than the four movies I rank above it. 
And just to finish my rankings, what are the four movies I rank above it? At number four, Spider-Man 1, the very first Tobey Maguire movie. Yes, I know those movies did not age well and do not hold up well, but I still like it. Number three, Homecoming, Tom Holland's first movie. Not really crazy about it being mostly Iron Spider than actual Spider-Man, but because it was a new take on Spider-Man and they skipped the origin story and I liked Tom Holland, Homecoming's number three. Number two, Spider-Man 2, the second Tobey Maguire movie. Again, I understand it doesn't hold up well, but I remember when I first saw it in theaters all those years ago, I thought it was not only a great movie, but at that time, I thought it was the best live-action superhero movie I had ever seen. And then number one, hands down for me, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So those are my rankings of the Spider-Man movies. And again, oddly, before I even saw it, No Way Home was fifth, and I'm keeping it fifth. All right. How would you rank the Spider-Man movies, Mike? I don't rank movies. You don't rank movies. <laughs> Good yeah. answer. Yeah. This but is... how about this? Did the This is the Greatest Spider-Man Movie Ever cause any cognitive dissonance for you or any confusion? Or what, um, what was your response to this? I can understand it. Spider-Man Nobody's Home is, is a really good movie. I think, and like I said towards the beginning, it's the first time I saw it, I was worried about it being good because I thought the fan service side of things is probably the only reason it was good. The second time I watched it, Fan service stuff took a back burner, and it actually did feel like a really good movie. Now, I do agree Into the Spider-Verse is leaps and bounds the best. Yes. I mean, it, because it's just amazing. It, it's all around amazing. And I would even argue that the success of that movie may very well have been why this movie had the plot that it did. It could have. Because I actually hope they never try to do this, but some people's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if they did a live action into the Spider-Verse? Please do not try to do that. Yeah, no. But the success of that movie, I think it might have influenced why this has a multiverse plot. Into the Spider-Verse by far. the This one ranks near the top for me just because the Raimi movies, I do agree plot-wise. Story-wise. Story-wise. One and two are really good movies. I cannot get past the terrible performance of Spider-Man. Of Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire playing Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. It ruined it for me at the time, but I accepted it because, like you said, it was the best that we had at the time. And I'm like, you know what? This is as good as superhero movies really get outside of Batman. Right. I mean, it was the first time we had a live-action Spider-Man movie. So, yeah, yeah I we, mean, we, so, like I said, it was the best we had at the time. And they hadn't figured out how to do it well yet. So mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, that's, that's acceptable. And then the Amazing Spider-Man movies, the Garfield ones, the plots on those are bad. They're just bad movies. They look cool. They were so focused on making it look cool, and they were successful making them look cool. They looked amazing, but the story just wasn't there. Agreed. So I struggle with that. So I, I guess if I were to rank, I would be ranking in groups of movies. Spider-Verse, obviously top. Mm -hmm. The Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. Oh, and then the other ones are all just kind of tied with shit. Because, <laughs> like I said, I mean, I want to say the Amazing Spider-Man movies because they're more enjoyable to watch. But because the story's not there, they're not really very enjoyable to watch. They're enjoyable to look at. And the Raimi movies are enjoyable to think about, but the, the performances just are terrible. So, yeah. I can understand that. There's my almost sort of kind of ranking. 
<laughs> no, that makes sense. I mean, we're both in agreement that Into the Spider-Verse is oh, yeah. far and away the best. I it, could it not recommend that more to everybody. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, it, it's it's beyond compare. So, I mean, even if people wanted to argue that this is the best live-action movie, I would still balk at it, but I would probably still be more inclined to rewatch No Way Home than some of the other movies. I mean, again, I have no interest in ever watching the Andrew Garfield ones again. I borrowed them from you a few weeks before No Way Home came out because it had been such a long time since I had seen them. And then after watching them again, it's like, yeah, I don't need to do that again. I would rather watch Andrew Garfield in No Way Home than watch the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Mm -hmm. And I still like the first two Tobey Maguire movies. But if I was like, if I really was like going to only watch one live action Spider-Man movie, I probably would watch this one. But I still don't think it's, overall, I don't think it's a good movie. And I definitely don't think it's as good as the movies that I ranked above mm -hmm. it. I think a lot of the things that you nitpick about this movie goes into character flaw. Or could be put into character flaw. Like, why would somebody do this? Well, they don't really have time to think about it. They're just doing. Character flaw and, and, and story Yeah, we flaw. benefit from the ability to stand back and think it out and be like, oh... This didn't make sense. This didn't make sense. Well, you put yourself in a character's position of in this moment with this information and no time to think it through. This is what I did. And that so, and also I would say that despite all of the things I nitpicked about earlier, the fact that the movie is coherent and cohesive, it's not like riddled with plot holes and you can't follow it. And nothing makes sense. No, the fact that it actually holds together is actually an impressive accomplishment. Yeah, it's just enough to to make it nitpicky at me to reduce its rewatchability value to me, but it's still definitely better than some of the other movies. All right. So, how about metaphorical ratings? Do you have one for this? Yeah, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Want to uh, go first, or you want me to go first? Go ahead. All right. My metaphorical rating is the Spider Brothers, because as I mentioned earlier throughout our conversation, I focused a lot on talking about the three Spider Man actors. So when I think of this movie, that's what I'm, I'm mainly, and what probably a lot of people will, is like, hey, we finally got to see Tom Holland, Tobey Maguire, and Andrew Garfield all together in one movie. Andrew Garfield, even his character even jokes in this movie, he hugs Tobey and Tom and says, I always wanted brothers. And that's kind of what it feels like, that they're not the three Spider-Men, that they're the Spider-Brothers. And that's the parts of the movie, despite some of the jokes not always working for me in spite some of the nitpicky things and stuff like that. That's what I think of as the best parts of the movie for me is those three guys together. It was just cool to see. Yeah, we even got the, the thing where they're all three pointing at each other. Yes, they're all three pointing at each other, the three different spider stances, mm -hmm. like when they first show up at the Statue of Liberty, when, when the way that they land, Yep. the three different sort of spider poses. So, I mean, there's a lot of little Easter eggy references and stuff. Again, like I said at the top, must see for fans of Spider-Man movies or, or fans of Spider-Man. And again, not that there aren't other characters in the movie. Spider-Man is the, the main character. So I think of it as I really enjoyed seeing the three Spider-Brothers. Yeah. For me, I'm calling Spider-Man Homeward Bound an incredible journey. Hey, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Wait a minute, was Spider-Pig in this? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> that was the only thing. I'm like, if they pull from Spider-Verse, the only thing I want to see is Spider-Pig. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know. I just thought it was really cool. I don't think they could have blended all the movies together better. And, and like we said, we, they just they pulled one villain from each each of the movies. They got all three Spider Men. How do we make it work? How do we put them together? And you know what? It worked. They, they were all lost. They found their way home. <laughs> it worked. Like you said, there's flaws. There's lots of flaws. It's imperfect. It doesn't make perfect sense if you think it through. But I don't know that they could have done much better, if better at all, in doing what they were trying to do, in bringing all the universes that we've seen and all the characters together. Oh yeah, I'm sure that like some of the early scripts and early story meetings would almost be interesting to read, but I could easily see this thing, if they tried to do more or to do things differently, it could have easily collapsed under its own weight. So it, again, it's impressive that the webbing holds and, ah. it, and and the movie actually sticks together. Oh, because like I said, yeah, there are things I would have liked to have seen done differently, but for every little minor change you make, it probably would unravel it and it would just start to fall apart. So again, like I said, I nitpicked it, but it is still a coherent and cohesive movie. And that's a very impressive accomplishment. This was actually a pretty bold movie to attempt to do. Honestly, I think this is the smallest nitpick list I've ever seen out of you. (laughs) Quick, let's end it before you change your mind. Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating, write a review, Reach out to us on Twitter at fanboyandhater. Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.